0: and He gave up His Spirit to His Father, the curtain that blocked the way to the Holy of Holies was torn in two, and at that moment, the presence of God was, for all time, for the rest of time, available all the time to us. And it is just amazing that we can actually stand here and sing that song today. That in the midst of, like, I hope that everybody's doing good today, but I can bet that there's someone here that's not. That in the midst of whether you're doing good or whether you're doing bad, you can be at Jesus' feet in His very presence all the time. And that's where peace is found. In the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, and in the midst of joy, that peace is found. We also sing the song that when my knees hit the ground, that's when I touch the sky, right? It's at Jesus' feet. Is where we're at most peace. And that we can be there in the presence of Almighty God all the time. I mean, I go throughout my day and I forget about that most of the time. That right now, right now, as far as as long as now is called now, as long as today is called today, I can be at the feet of Jesus. I mean, do we get that? That was never available before Jesus died. In the presence of God, we can be at peace. God, I just pray. I pray for your peace as we are at the foot of the cross this morning. That we are in the presence of Almighty God. That you say where two or three are gathered in your name, you are there. And that's a miracle, God. Because we have so much that we carry. We have so much pain. We have so many burdens God, we have so much joy, but sometimes we find that joy in the wrong thing, and God, I just beg you, I pray this morning that every heart in the room would meet with you in a new way, that you, you as a creator would create a new experience in every heart this morning as they meet with you and they see you for who you really are, that we can actually be in the presence of Almighty God. God, give us peace. Give us peace. Give us joy beyond happiness. Give us joy beyond our circumstance. Because we serve Jesus because Jesus gave his life up for us freely. We love you, God, and we need you. And all God's people said, Amen. You can have a seat. I got a question. Occupy in your street. How are you doing? You're probably getting tired of me saying that, but I need to ask myself that question almost daily because it's so easy to forget. It's so easy to become like, oh, you know what you guys learned at church? We're learning how to occupy our street, really? Like, what does that mean? Uh, let me pick somebody. Tell me what. I'm just kidding. Yeah. I'm kidding. I wouldn't do that to you. Um, when we say occupy your street, your street is everywhere that you go on a regular basis. It's not just the street that you live on. It's everywhere that you go on a regular basis. Are you occupying that with the gospel? And if you have a story to tell, you need to email uh, street at We've gotten a few stories in, and they're awesome, and I want to compile these and encourage you with them. Um, they're good stories. Our mission at Creekside is leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus. Now here's the deal, that has got to be personal for everyone in this church. It's got to be personal for everyone in this church, especially for the Christian, because here's the deal, when Jesus said the Great Commission, he said it to a group of people, but he meant it for every individual that would say, I want to follow Jesus. He said, go and make disciples Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And he didn't just suggest that. He actually commanded it. He said, if you're going to be a follower of mine, you need to be going and telling other people how to be a follower of mine. My challenge to you is to take it personal. You walk right in our building and you look up and immediately the first thing you see is leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ. That's not just a cool saying. That's not just our version of the Great Commission. You need to take it personally. We need to take it personally. So take it personally. You're you're the only one. Get this. Okay. You are the only one on your street. Okay. Because even if you're married... Your street may overlap with your spouse's, but it's not the same. You're the only one that God has put on your specific street. So if you do not bring the love of Jesus and the gospel to the people who are lost and dying on your street, then who will? Here's the deal. God's powerful enough to do it without you, okay? Because you're not that special. You're not that great. You are extremely special to God. But you ain't as cool as you think you are, all right? I need to tell myself every every time I look in the mirror, you ain't as cool as you think you are, all right? My wife tells me that all the time. Dude, you ain't as cool as you think you are, all right? But the cool thing is, God wants to use you. And he desperately wants you to walk in the blessing of being used by him. I tell you what, the abundant life that Jesus came to give, we've said it so many times, it has nothing to do with our possessions or how much money we make. Part of it is that we get to be used for the kingdom of God. There is no greater reward on this planet than to be used for the kingdom of God. But here's the deal, it's hard to do because you might not see the reward here. The reward is coming, if you don't see it here, it's coming in heaven. But you are allowed to occupy your street for that reward. It sounds selfish, it sounds backwards, right? But I, for one, do not want to come to Jesus empty-handed. I want him to reward me with the gold and the silver that lasted through this life, and then I don't want to get on my knees in front of Jesus and give it back to him. Like, I don't want to come empty-handed to him. Sometimes we go about our day, and I do this all the time, and I need to stop. I go about my day, I wake up, and I say, God, give me opportunities today to share your love with someone who needs it. You need to stop praying that if you're praying it. Stop praying for opportunities, because every single time you walk out your door, if you talk to anybody, that's an opportunity. God is giving you opportunities, okay? I'm telling you. The only time you don't have opportunities is if you don't talk to anybody in your day. That's the only time you don't have an opportunity to share the love of Jesus. Stop praying for opportunities because you already have them. This is what we need to pray. We need to pray, God, I'm scared out of my mind, but I'm doing this. So give me the courage and give me the favor with these people so that I can bring your gospel to them because I'm doing this. I'm doing this, I'm doing this, because you've already given me the opportunities. That's what we need to start doing, all right? So occupy your street, because that is the blessing that is meant for you in this abundant life. Love on everyone. Let's get our Bibles out. Let's get our Bibles out. It might not look like this. If you don't have a Bible, there might be one in a pew, or it's not a pew, it's a seat in front of you, um, or it'll be on the screen. We're going to be in Matthew, it's the first book of the New Testament, it's about three quarters of the way through the Bible, it's on page uh, 1,829, just kidding, if you have a different Bible you'd be very confused right now. First book of the New Testament, we're going to be in chapter 5, verse 21, I'm going to read this to you and then we're going to get to work, alright, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 to 26. You have heard it said, this is Jesus talking, you have heard it said, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So. If you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out. Until you have paid the last penny. The title for this message is Everyone's a Murderer. Everyone's a Murderer. All right, that might be true, literally, for somebody in the room, but regardless, I want you to tell the person next to you right now, I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, You're a Murderer. And now turn to the person that you chose second for whatever reason and say, You're a Murderer. I still love you, chose you second, but I love you. Now everybody look at me, I'm looking at you, and I'm telling you, you are a murderer. Everybody tell me, Nick, you're a murderer. Good, we got that straight. We're currently in week three of our sermon series, Sermon on the Mount. Sermon series, Sermon on the Mount, it's hard to say. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' first recorded public sermon to his followers, Okay? It's also the most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached. He opens His ministry right up from the beginning of His public ministry by challenging everything that the established world at that time assumed it would be like to live as part of the kingdom of God. Remember, this is the Jewish community. And a week before they crucified Jesus, they welcomed Him into Jerusalem with a king's welcome. And they said, Hosanna, which means save now. These people literally thought that Jesus was there to be their earthly king at the moment to save them from Roman oppression. But Jesus came for a completely different reason. He came to be their king, but he had to accomplish our salvation first. So he challenges right from the beginning with this Sermon on the Mount, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? He came to clear up that issue. The whole entire sermon is Jesus saying this, if you're really interested in following me, if you're really, really, really interested in knowing what it means to live as part of the kingdom of God, this is what your life will look like, all right? This is what your life's going to look like. Last week, Kyle talked about the purpose of the law, okay? Like, literally, we're talking the law that was given to the nation of Israel's first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch, okay? And oftentimes, um, a Jew growing up as a Jew, they would learn and they would memorize. This is nuts. I have a hard time remembering my kids' names. And they would memorize the first five books of the Bible. That's insane. I am not doing that. Alright? It's a good thing I don't have to. But that's nuts. They knew it so well. So when Jesus challenges okay, what they thought was true, they, have, they, they, they may have a problem with this. But Kyle reminded us last week the purpose of the law. The law shows us the holy standards of righteousness and what it takes to have eternal life. And these are two things that he reminded of us. I'm probably going to butcher these, but this is how I remember it. Number one, to attain eternal life, we must follow the law perfectly. It's close enough, right, Kyle? Right? We must follow the law perfectly. And number two, it's impossible. You can't do it. Right? You cannot do it. And so, as Kyle reminded us, that's crushing. I mean, that should just break our heart. The fact that the only way to be right with God is that I follow this law perfectly. I mean, the the whole first five books of the Bible, I have to follow that perfectly? I don't even know it. Let alone, am I going to follow it perfectly? It's impossible for a human being to follow the law perfectly. The great news is, that's why it's called the gospel, is that Jesus did it for us. I'm not just talking about him dying for us. He came, and when he lived on the planet as fully God... But fully human, fully man, he followed every single dot in the law absolutely perfectly. That's why, that's why in his holiness, in his righteousness, Jesus was the only possible sacrifice to save humankind for eternity. Because as Kyle reminded us, he was the fulfillment of the law. It had to be someone that followed the law perfectly. So this week we launch into a section that Kyle alluded to last week. A series of statements where Jesus says, you've heard it said. Like this is what you know to be true. All right, But I tell you, this is true. So he's challenging them. We need to take a few steps back for a moment. At that time, the religious leaders at the time, the people uh, that were in leadership over the religious community of Israel, there was a, there was a few, few people involved in that. Scribes, priests, Pharisees, Sadducees. Okay, uh, You don't have to remember all that. But the Pharisees were like the morality police at that time. They were more interested in what we're going to refer to this morning as the letter of the law. They would look at it, and they would say, boom, look at this. Read this sentence. This is what it says. So as long as you follow that perfectly, you're good with God, right? Look at what it says, right? I got it, right? They were, this is how Pharisees were. They were like, I got this. I'm awesome. I followed that perfectly. Now, I'm going to make sure you follow it perfectly, too. Everything that it said, they held people to follow it perfectly, to the Pharisees, the letter of the law was what made someone right before God. But Jesus comes to preach a message that reached so much deeper into the intentions and the motivations of the heart. Because we've said it before, Jesus is not after behavior modification. Jesus is after the condition of your heart. Which should be so freeing for most of us in this room. Because we know how we live our lives. It's like, I know my life this past week. I know that not, it it doesn't line up in every way with what I see in Scripture. I'm trying, right? I want to be holy, but I'm a person. I fail. Man, thank God that because of Jesus, he doesn't look at my outward actions. He looks at a repentant heart. He sees Jesus has covered my sins because I've come to Jesus for salvation. And when God looks at me, I am holy. I am righteous. He's after our heart. I want you to, if you're a right, anybody write stuff down. In here? You're a writer? Okay. Debbie, this is for you. Alright? If you're writing stuff down, I want you to write these next two things down. If you forget everything I say today, hopefully these two things will help you remember what we talked about. First of all, the letter of the law is pointless unless we understand the intent of the law. Jesus came to redefine what the Pharisees called the letter of the law, being the way to be right with God. Jesus came to redefine the way to be right with God. He wants us to understand the intent of the law. The intent of the law goes so much deeper than the letter of the law into the motives of our hearts. So the letter of the law is pointless unless we understand the intent of the law. And number two, the intent of the law is holiness, not behavior modification, all right? The Pharisees were only after looking at you as a person and saying, Adam, how did you perfectly follow the law this week? I'm waiting, right? And if you got it wrong, you got it wrong. If you got it right, you're good, right? And nobody in this room would get it right every time. So we would fail their test, We would fail the intent of the law, and therefore we are not holy. Jesus went a little deeper after the intent of the law. The intent of the law is holiness, and how is that received? It's not by living the law perfectly. So we're going to clarify a little bit. We're going to get real deep right now. Anybody know who Jeff Foxworthy is? All right? Deep. Tell you what. Tell you what. All right, I'm going to share with you a few redneck jokes, all right, and then I'm going to share with you a few um, Pharisee statements. They're not jokes. They're statements, all right? I'm going to lighten it up a little bit here. Um, I, can, I can share these things because up until this point in my life, my father, okay, he's the biggest redneck I know, by far the biggest redneck I know, which tells me that rednecks don't just live in the South. They live in Connecticut. Actually, um some of you fall under these categories. So here we go. You might be a redneck if Thanksgiving is ruined if you run out of ketchup. That is the entire Clarkson family, all right? Entire Clarkson family. I mean, my wife, when I first met her, the the biggest thing, I was like, this woman is awesome. We go to McDonald's and she buys ketchup packets just to suck them down, right? I I caught my son, Micaiah, the other day. Where were we? We were somewhere with official, no, it was at home, it was at home, we have official squirt ketchup bottles, and Micaiah's over there, like, with the thing up to his mouth, She's going, <laughs> it was disgusting. It's like, you, you people are, you rednecks, that's what you are, all right? You might be a redneck if burning lighter fluid is your favorite smell in the world, all right? This brings me to my son Micaiah also. I wouldn't recommend this, but every time we stop and get gas, he does this. Oh, Dad, I love that smell. I'm like, hey, Micaiah, why don't you come out to the tank and just smell right from the the tank? It's awesome, right? It's great. You might be a redneck if you think the last words of the Star Spangled Banner are play ball. You might be a redneck if you heat your house with bacon grease, motor oil, or chicken grease. That's Richie Miller. Where are you? I actually think of him for most of these. You might be a redneck if your boat has not left your driveway in 15 years. You might be a redneck if you keep a can of Raid on your kitchen table. Now, that's my wife, all right? She could spot an ant from 100 miles away. I'm telling you, she could spot an ant. From, I mean, see, if there was an ant crawling on my neck, she would know it, all right? You might be a redneck if you've ever used a toilet seat as a picture frame. Confession time? Anybody? Toilet seat as a Simon? No? No? You good? All right. You might be a redneck if you look at a family. This is terrible. You might be a redneck if you look at a family reunion as a chance to meet Mr. or Mrs. Wright. I can make a... Never mind, I won't do that. You might be a redneck if every electrical outlet in your house is a fire hazard. You might be a redneck if you've used a weed whacker as a blender. If you consider a three-piece suit to be a pair of overalls, a plaid flannel shirt, and thermal underwear... You might be a redneck if, eating, if you're eating a duck and it still has a pulse. Now, that is my dad. I'm telling you. He's going to be here next week. You look at him. I, I, I facetime with him yesterday. He is like, boom, beard and all that stuff. I mean, you can picture this man eating a duck is still alive. Trust me. I've been duck hunting with him before, and uh, he's a redneck. Now, I want to share some you might be a Pharisee if statements. All right, we've lightened it up a little bit. But here's the deal. When it really comes down to my heart, a lot of days I subconsciously act like a Pharisee and I don't even know that I'm doing it, all right? What I'm about to read to you comes from this book. It's called The End of Me. It's a, If you want a, a great book to read about the Sermon on the Mount, it's called The End of Me by Kyle Eidelman. Uh, you can get it on Amazon or or bookstore or whatever. Um, it's just a really good book. But these things really get to the core of my heart. And they prove to me, they prove to me that I don't completely understand what Jesus saved me to. I don't completely, in my core, I don't completely soak this up because I find myself in so many of these statements. So I want you to take a moment just to breathe, not to guilt yourself, but I want to prove to you, I want to prove to you where our hearts really are and how much we desperately need Jesus. You might be a Pharisee if you catch yourself saying, you can't talk to me like that. And you have pride and defensiveness. You might be a Pharisee if you catch yourself saying, I'm not going to be the one to apologize. Every married couple in the room should know what I'm talking about right now. You might be a Pharisee if you catch yourself saying, It's not fair. Because you think that all of society owes you something. You might be a Pharisee if you catch yourself whispering, did you hear about so and so? Or did you hear about this? And you're caught in the gossip trap. You might be a Pharisee if you catch yourself saying, I don't need anyone's help. I got this. You might be a Pharisee if you catch yourself saying, it's not me, it's you. It's not my sin, it's your sin. If you catch yourself celebrating someone else's failure, If you obsess over the opinions of others, you might be a Pharisee if you're utterly convinced that your opinion is always the only right one. Do you see the center of all of those is me, 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 me. It's all about me. Pride has taken over, and I think I'm awesome. Somehow, we live our lives like we think we can actually be good enough to save ourselves. Even though probably the majority of the room, I would ask you, how, how, how do you be saved? And you would say, come to Jesus, believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Which is the right answer. But when I look at your life, I'm afraid, I'm afraid for myself that when you look at my life, would my answer be, by my life, it's all about Jesus? Or would it be, it's all about me? I got this. Am I awesome? Listen, listen, listen. If Jesus died for you, you are awesome. You're amazing. But not because of you. You're amazing because... Of Jesus in you and you were worth dying for that's how much he loved you you were worth dying for so we come to this section and we read a section like this it immediately puts down our temptation to put sin on a scale because here's what we do we take stuff like murder rape sexual sin porn addiction drug and alcohol addiction and we say boom that's the worst right I'd much rather be a proud person than a murderer, right? We've already established everybody's a murderer. Everyone is a murderer by the law of God. You're all murderers, right? But then we take that list of the worst sins we could think of. Then we take that list and we say, hey, if I was going to admit a sin to you, I would much rather admit to you that I was an alcohol, I was an alcoholic rather than a porn addict, right? Because somehow that's gross. It's gross to be a porn addict, but it's not gross to be an alcoholic, right? We put sin on a scale. But with God, there is no scale. Murder is the same thing as hate. And we're going to learn next week that lust is the same thing as adultery. It's the same thing as being a porn addict. It's the same thing, it's the same thing, it's the same thing, it's the same thing. And that's what Jesus shows shows us in this section, that we are all in the same boat. You're not better than the person next to you. You can't possibly say, oh, I live in Des Moines, Bob lives in Carlisle, in the armpit of Iowa. I'm better than him. I have to fit a Carlisle joke in every time just because... He just looks at me, and I want to make fun of him. That's what, that's what I want to do. He's got one of those faces. Make fun of me. I'm just kidding. I love you, Bob. I love you. I can do this because I love him, all right? All right? We can't possibly look at the person next to us and say, I'm better than that person, so I'm right with God, because you're still a murderer. Verse 21. You have heard it said, To those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Right there, he sets up the letter of law. That's the letter of law. You shouldn't kill somebody. You should not premeditated murder somebody. That defined the pharisaical way of thinking. Here's what it says. Here's what you shouldn't do. And if you're good with that, you're good with God, right? But then Jesus says in verse 22, he says, but... I say to you, which to them at that time should have been a huge statement like, okay, he's about to change everything we know, right? Because ten- Jesus has a tendency to do that. He's like, what you think you know, you're wrong, right? I'm about to change it. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Same phrase, same words as when you murder somebody, you'll be liable to judgment in verse 21. And then he says, with, if you're angry with your brother, you will be liable to judgment same thing. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council and whoever says you fool will be be liable to the hell of fire. That's intense. This goes to the intent of the law. It goes to the motives of the heart. It reminds us that everyone's a murderer. It seems scandalous. It seems not fair because how could I possibly be held to the same standard as Joe over here, who he actually killed somebody and I just thought about killing him. I didn't actually kill him, I just thought about killing him. Right? How am I possibly held to the same standard as him? Well, Jesus says if, you've, if, you've, if you obey one part of the law, you obey the whole law. If you've disobeyed one part of the law, you have offended the entire law. There is no scale of sin with God, there is no holier-than-thou attitude with God. But when we think about the intent of the law, the why behind the law, the what it calls us to and how we should live, it calls us to live a life of graciousness. It calls us, as Scripture says, to take the big old massive plank out of our own eye, the plank of sin out of our own eye so that we can see clearly to take the little speck of sin out of our brother's eyes. It's essentially saying, stop. Stop playing this game. Because you are not better than your brother or sister. You're not better than the person next to you. Everyone is in the same boat. That's why, get this, when anybody, when anybody walks into this church... When anyone, I don't care who they are, what they look like, what they say, what they've done, what they will do. When anybody walks into this church and when you are out there occupying your street after you leave here, no one that we run into should ever feel anything but love. They should not feel condemnation when you talk to them. Here's the deal. We are to call people to repent from their sins and turn from their sins because that's what Jesus called us to. But how did Jesus do that? Jesus didn't run around smacking people over the head with the Bible saying, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. He loved on people. He spent time with people. He let people be who they were, and he did not condemn them for their sin. This is the only man in history that could have and still have been righteous. But what he's calling us to is, hey, do it the same way I did it. Love on people. Love on people. Love on people. And after you've loved them, and after you say, listen, in Jesus you are not condemned, then you can challenge them. Now go and leave your life of sin. Now go and leave your life of sin. Verse 23 says this. So, because all that's true, if you're offering your gift at the altar and, you're, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift right before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer the gift. And a few chapters later, if you flip over to Matthew 9, 13, you don't have to do that, but Jesus tells his disciples, he says, go and find out what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Again, he is setting up the intent of the law versus the letter of the law. And here we see how important it is that your heart is right toward the person who has wronged you rather than going and doing the religious thing, right? That's what Jesus challenged him. I know I know that you feel like you have to be here at the altar. This is a, this is a religious thing. You're going to you're going to make your sacrifice, right? In that time, sacrifices, making sacrifices was often a way of worshiping, right? But Jesus is saying, no, before you even make that sacrifice, before you even do the religious act, I want you to go be right with your brother. I want your heart to be in the right place with your brother, with your sister. Because let me tell you this. There's probably... Some people who are not in church this morning, but their heart is more right and in a place with God than some of yours are. And you're sitting in church. So essentially what Jesus is saying to them is, guess what? You being in church today, it doesn't do anything for you. You being in church today doesn't earn you anything. We're glad that you're here. And we want you to keep coming back. But it's not earning you anything before God. And you know what? That should be freeing. Because it's not the letter of the law that you have to live by. It's your heart that needs to be right with God. And this is a way to do that. We come and we worship together. And we worship God. And we get to be free in his presence, as Tim was talking about at the beginning of this service. We get to be free in his presence, right? But it's not about if you're here or not. Where's your heart before God? One of the things that uh, we learned, that Heather and I learned from Pharaoh's, that f- almost the first thing that Javier taught us was you change the way you think, you will change the way you act. You change the way you think, you will change the way you act. And I can tell you that does not only apply to physical body, it applies to your spiritual life too. That God wants to change you from the inside out. You're never going to change the way you act unless Jesus changes your heart. Unless you let him change your heart. So let's read verse 25 and 26, last couple verses. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going uh, with him to court lest you're accused, you accuse your hand you're over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison truly I say to you you will never get out until you have paid the last penny here's the deal ultimately ultimately every single person on the planet every single person in this room has to has to settle their account of sin with God you have to Because if you don't, that's an eternity separated from God. You have to settle your sin account with God. But again, that's the standard. To settle your sin account with God, the standard is perfection. You can't possibly do that. So we're free. Because Jesus did it for us. Your sin account has to be settled for you to have eternal life. But Jesus said, listen, listen, you don't take my life from me. I lay it down freely. That's how much he loved you. He was holy. He was righteous. He never did anything wrong. And he said, I'm going to lay my life down for you because I love you. That's how you settle your sin account with God. Scripture says, If you profess with your mouth that Jesus died on the cross and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. I'm telling you this morning. You don't have to know anything else. This could all be really confusing to you. All you need to know this morning is that Your sin separates you from God. You have to settle that account. And Jesus did it for you on the cross because he was perfect and he could. So if you believe that, that's it. You're saved forever. The band's going to come back up. And as they come back up, I want to... This is just, this whole thing has preached to me, preached to myself on so many levels. But I want you to remember this that Jesus sets up the intent of the law. The intent of the law is to remind us that we need a Savior, it's to keep us from judging others in a wrong way, it's to hold us to give grace like we've been given grace. It's to change how we think from the inside, and then we can change how we act on the outside, when we understand the weight of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, then it will change how we live. We live. We say all the time, come as you are, but we believe God is faithful not to leave you that way because when you meet with God, when you come to Jesus for salvation, he will change your heart. And when your heart changes, then you'll change the way you live. But so often we live it the other way and we treat people on the outside the other way. We say, hey, you get right with God, then you can come to church. That's not how it works. You do not have to get right with God before He saves you. That's impossible. He saves you and you are right with God. Jesus did not die so that we could act perfectly, He died so that we wouldn't have to and we would still be perfect when God looked at us. So we're going to take the bread. And the cup, this is stuff that Jesus actually gave us himself to say, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. It's just symbols, but it all starts here. I mean, when we take the bread and the juice, this is a reminder of what the intent of the law was. The intent of the law was to make us perfect. The intent of the law was to make us holy (laughs) through Jesus because he was the fulfillment of that law. So if you believe that this morning, there's two spots up front and you can go. There's one in the back. If you you don't believe that this morning, but you want to believe that and you just got questions, I'm going to be in the back. I would love to talk to you about it. If you're at the point this morning where you say, yeah, I get it. I want to pray with somebody. I want Jesus to be my Savior. I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm separated from God, and I need to come to Jesus as my Savior. Come in the back. I want to pray with you. Or you can pray with the person that you're with. Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes everything. And so guess what? We are all murderers. We are all in the same boat. And now we are all free to worship without chains. Because Jesus has set us free completely from having to try so hard to save ourselves because it's impossible. So let's pray. God. I thank you that you had a solution for our inability to follow the law perfectly. <laughs> I thank you that you, you said to, to your followers, it's not about following the law perfectly. It's about a changed heart, and then your life will change, and you will live this way because you're so thankful that you are loved by Almighty God. I pray that we would live our lives that way. That we would seek to do good because we are loved. Not that we seek to do good so that we will be loved. That's not how it works. You love us, God. You love us so we are free. So we remember you now, Jesus. We need you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, part of the reason that Jesus said in this passage that being angry with someone is under the same judgment as murdering someone is to make the point that when we're angry with someone, when we have ill will towards someone, we're defaming the image of God in that person. That all humanity is created in the image of God. And so when we have ill will towards somebody, when we hate somebody, when we wish evil upon somebody, we are defaming the image of God on that person. But we're also defaming the image of God in us because that's not God. It's not God. The beauty of the thing that happened when Jesus died on the cross was that he restored the image of God in everyone that would come to Him. So now you live, if you've come to Jesus, you live with the image of God perfect in you. And so my challenge to you this week is to remember that everyone you love on this week as you occupy your street, you're all in the same boat. So love on everybody. We're going to sing one more song together. If you have kids that you need to go get get in in Sunday school and all that, go do that. But we're going to sing one last song together just to lift our voices again to, to commit ourselves to the love of God this week.